You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio. As I lovingly refer to him, National Border Patrol Chief. Used to be local Border Patrol Chief. Cool Raul Ortiz in the studio here on the Sergio Show. Well, looks like illegal immigration back in the spotlight because we got the deadline for Title 42 around the corner. Again, that's the pandemic era end of, you know, that opportunity for Border Patrol to return some illegal immigrants. We had an interview on the morning news, and Chief, you told me that about 6 to 4, right, 60 percent muscle mentals, or because of Title 42, illegal immigrants, about 60 percent you're able to return, 40 percent their unaccompanied kids or family units or what other reason. They, they can't be returned to Cuba, you know, things like that. You're having to keep in this country. Um, and I guess process them out. But when you return individuals, do they go back to the country that they crossed from in Mexico, or do we put them on a plane back to the country so we have a, a return agreement? Yeah, so it really depends on the demographic or the population that we're talking about. You know, most Central Americans and Mexicans can be expelled uh, across into Mexico. Uh, we've had some agreements with our uh, immigration officials on the south side that we've been able to expel some Venezuelans also. Hmm. Um, they ceased that in Juarez and in, in, uh, El Paso just recently because they had a fire in a shelter and uh, they've been stretched really, really thin. And, wow. there, and there's some overcrowding going on there. Yeah. But what we are able to do is expel via flights. You know, at one point, uh, I'll, have, I'll have 38 flights flying into countries in South America, Central America, Mexico. It's so what we want to do— Are we do, flying them out of Harlingen or El Paso or we, what? We, we fly them out of uh, here in South Texas in RGV. We fly them out of El Paso in, in several different locations, All yes. Right, yeah. Chief Raul Ortiz, National Border Patrol Chief, joining us here on the, on the Sergio Show. Now, let's go back to that number of Mexicans versus, you know, OTMs, the other than Mexicans. Where are we right now? So about 350,000 Mexican nationals have been apprehended by the Border Patrol. So, so far this year, 1.150 million apprehensions. In about six months in the fiscal year, we're over a million people crossed illegally. And then out of that population, about 570,000 are Central Americans and Mexican nationals. So all those folks were expelled via Title 42, except for the unaccompanied children. And and if somebody had uh, some sort of immigration or or if they were prosecuted. And we do prosecute some individuals, not to the level that I would like. You know, I always say that law enforcement is centered around two things, right? Capacity and consequences. And we certainly lack a little bit on the capacity side. And we need to continue to build consequences. Well, there you go. Muscle Menos 3 out of 10 are from Mexico, easily returnable. And then you've got folks that are easily returnable as well from Central America. But you're seeing folks coming in from around the world, including China and Russia, too, I would imagine. Russia, right? Ukraine, Vietnam, uh, Mauritians, you name it. We've got hey, every once in a while I'll see a population pop up on my report. I'm like, okay, where's this country at? And I'll go to have to do some research because I want to know why they're you crossing. Win, you're at the point now you'd win a geography beat. Yeah, yeah most <laughs> you, definitely. You know but, your map. But I will tell you that the, the Chinese nationals, especially here in South Texas, are very concerning to me. Um, the I get briefed, an intelligence brief, three times a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays when I'm in Washington, D.C. And the um, information uh, that we receive, I, I'm tell you, it's it's concerning. Chief Raul Ortiz, National Border Patrol, uh, in the studio. West Texas, for many months now, has been the crossing of choice for illegals. We used to be number one. I mean, I'm I'm all right with the fact that the Rio Grande Valley doesn't have that title anymore. Yeah. But the resources are so th- spread so thin in West Texas. Ha- have you been forced to set up tent camps and send up? Send out dozens of more border patrol and trucks out there to Del Rio, Eagle Pass. El Paso is easier because it's a you know big city. But tell me about the reaction by border patrol to the the flood of humanity in West Texas. Yeah, that's a great question, Sergio. So, you know, just about uh, three or four weeks ago, my team reported to me that we had less than nineteen thousand border patrol agents. So, eighteen thousand nine hundred seventy-three border patrol agents on our payrolls right now. That's the lowest number I've seen in 12 years, 13 years. And so we continue to try and move capacity in those areas where we're getting hit the hardest. Eagle Pass, Texas, 
uh, Santa Teresa, New Mexico are the two busiest places in the country right now. And uh, what we try and do is build capacity with respect to um, holding space, trying to get as many transport vehicles out there. So a lot of these groups are groups that give up. And when they give up, what they do is they force agents to try and process them out in the field, and they occupy our agents when they should be out there on patrol. And so what we're trying to do is uh, accelerate the processing and get them into facilities as quickly as we can so our agents can get back out there in the fight and make sure that they're patrolling uh, in between the ports of entry. And so uh, we've done a tremendous job of uh, building uh, an electronic A-file system. Uh, all our agents have what we call a TAC device, which is really just a mobile phone, and they're able to start the processing with some of these devices. And so there's just so much that we've done in the last couple of years. The processing of illegal immigrants? Yes. And, and whether they're going to be kicked out or if it's a little kid, you know, where to funnel them to a yeah, shelter exactly. or something like that. We can identify who they are. We can identify a pathway, and we can start the process. Sooner. Real quick, in the field with one of these mobile phone things, with what, the, you take a fingerprint and figure out, this is a criminal. Biometrics, fingerprint for adults, and if it's not This a, is a repeat entry, or this guy is wanted on a warrant up in Minnesota or something like that. Yes, You're able to tell that a, real quick? It's amazing. Wow. It's amazing. These agents are, I tell you what, the uh, agents that are out in the field right now, they have more gadgets on their uh, uh, vest and, and, you know, in their hands to be able to address what's happening. Uh, like I, t- I talked earlier about, you know, the small UAS, the small drones that we're encountering out yeah. there in the field, and that's across the whole country. And so all of these things force us to change how we do business just a little bit, and we're all constantly adjusting that. And I'm really, really proud of the board. Chief is referring to, you know, drug smugglers, cartels using drones that you'd buy online or on Amazon or something that can carry bundles over the river, drop it in the ranch country, people there picking it up and running with it. Yeah, the smugglers don't have to get their hands dirty. The guides no longer have to get their hands dirty. They can smuggle people virtually now, and uh, we've got to figure out how to attack. Explain that. Smuggling people virtually. How's that happen? So what happens is the smugglers will give the migrants a cell phone with uh, set points on there in places, locations, where GPS locations, where they need to go to. And so <laughs> oh, wow. as soon as they encounter a border patrol agent, they'll throw the device out in the brush, and the agents have to go and recover that and exploit that so they can try and figure out who these smugglers are. And so this is happening, like I said, across the southwest border. And now we're starting to see this traffic up on our northern border. That's amazing. Our national border patrol chief, Raul Ortiz, as I lovingly refer to him here in the studio. Now, you touched on something I was going to ask you. Retention, recruitment of Border Patrol. Uh, you already touched, we're going in the wrong direction. So, yeah. what, are Border Patrol agents leaving uh, their profession? Um, are you having a hard time filling those? Because it's going to take a while to, to train somebody to fill the, the, uh, an expert uh, in the field, uh, a person who was an expert in the field. So, you know, what's, what's going on with that? Yeah, so we've seen a, a bit of a reduction in, in our staffing. Um, what are the Where th- should we be, Chief? Because we're allocated a certain number, yep. and we're way behind that. Yeah, I've asked Congress for about uh, 22,000 Border Patrol agents. Uh, they have done a tremendous job of funding me for additional agents. Uh, my problem is recruiting. Uh, in these last couple of years, it's been tough for every law enforcement agency out there to recruit. And then one of the things that we were doing is we we like to think that we're one of the toughest law enforcement agencies out there. And so uh, we would send our folks to the academy, and we had 34% attrition in our academy. <laughs> We're like the Marines. We want to break you, and we want to make sure that you you deserve to be a Border Patrol agent. Do you still have a very tough academy? We do have a very tough academy, but we learned some things, and uh, we were able to reduce our attrition attrition to about 9.1%. And so now we're able to get more agents through the academy. I have uh, recruitment incentives. I'm I'm offering $20,000 bonuses, $10,000 bonuses if you want to go to certain locations. And then I'm trying to retain as many of our senior agents. You know, I need senior agents to be yeah. able to train these. So I'm looking at trying to offer an incentive for some of our more senior agents so we can keep them on the payrolls just a little bit longer. It's going to take me about four or five years to get through this hump. National Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz uh, joining me in studio here on the Sergio Show. You explained a new initiative. The Valley kicks it off where it's a rapid fire, quick check. An individual crosses the border illegally will be processed and 
somebody at a more magistrate or judge level will be able to make a decision. Your claim is valid. Yes, we see the evidence that you're going to be killed by a cartel or something like that when you go back. and Or if it's not, they'll be returned. So describe for me as best you can this new initiative to quickly process somebody in or out of the country. Yeah, what happens with a lot of the populations that we're seeing right now is they claim credible fear. And uh, when they claim credible fear, you can no longer expel them or remove them from the country. And that's what has been hitting us because everybody for years now has been claiming credible fear. Going back all the way to President Obama, they've been claiming and they've been able to stay, get a little bit of paperwork and get in line. Right now we have Lord knows how many hundreds of thousands of people in the pipeline to have a case heard before a judge. So now we're hoping to stop that. And as you said earlier, first in first out. So how's it going to work? Yeah, this is not going to address the flow or the individuals that are already in the immigration yeah, the continuum. Yeah. You know, and those are that's in the millions. What this is going to address are those folks that are arriving right now. And what we're going to be able to do is as soon as they tell a board patrol agent or customs officer that I claim fear, then they're going to go before an asylum officer and they're going to make the determination as to whether that fear claim is actually legitimate. And if it is, then they're going to make a decision that whether they go before an immigration judge or not. And then the migrant's going to have an opportunity to adjust that claim at some point during that process. They're going to have uh, an opportunity to go before for counsel to, to, to see a lawyer or something like that. And so all of this, I think we, what we've done is shrunk the process and we actually um, set up the process at our border patrol facilities using um, virtual uh, phone booths, yeah. uh, camera systems. And so I think I'm really confident that this is going to have an impact, but it's going to take us a while to get to a point where it's going to have a significant impact because I only have four teams across the southwest border and I have nine sectors that I have to worry about. At the at the goal is to at some point in all sectors to have this process where somebody claims credible fear, okay, let's go to the border patrol station or the facility and do a one-on-one via television with some or the agent determines yeah. whether that person is going to go see someone at a little higher level and then have that one-on-one quickly and that one-on-one will determine whether that person stays or, or needs to leave. So that means you're ramping up, you're likely going to be ramping up lots of flights yeah. at the, from the valley to begin with. I, I hope Back so. to countries of orange. Yeah, the, the, the intent is to certainly be able to make sure that if somebody does not get a, an affirmed case with respect to a credible fear interview, that we can put them on a flight and send them back to their home country as quickly as we possibly can, or turn them over to ICE enforcement removal operations so they can put them in a detention facility pending a flight. That's going to require a lot more people at ICE. It's going to require a lot more people at uh, Customs or whatever uh, other department will be handling the one-on-one interviews. What can you tell me about manning all those cameras, TVs, one-on-one conversations? We're talking about thousands of people. As you said, you're ramping up to about over 5,000 daily now. It might be even worse after Title 42. Yeah, so um, CIS, Citizen and Immigration Services, which is a part of the Department of Homeland Security, is going to have a, a big chunk of the responsibility on the on the asylum claims. Uh-huh. Immigration judges are going to have to be added uh, to all of this process because we don't have enough immigration judges. And right now they're trying to uh, beef those staffing levels up as high as they possibly can. And then certainly uh, flights. Uh, we've got transportation contracts that we're working on. We're, we need bigger planes. You know, Columbia will tell you that, hey, we'll accept, as uh, you know, our people all day long. You just got to get us bigger planes. And But that doesn't happen everywhere. There are some countries where we have no recourse but to release people into this country because we can't send them back to their home country. Okay. When does that start, this, this new fast-track um, interview process and fast-track removal process. When does that kick in? So we did uh, a group this week here in South Texas. Okay. And we while we were doing this first group of individuals, okay. we trained three other teams from other locations. They're going to go back and they're going to start training their personnel. And then hopefully before May 11th, we can kick this off. Be safe, Chief. Thank you for your time. No, thank you for having me. Always a, always a, a pleasure having these conversations and being able to share our experiences down there, down here on the border. Our National Border Patrol Chief, Raul Ortiz, on The Sergio Show. This is The Sergio Show.
you're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. They're running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Dr. Tom Jones is a NASA astronaut. We always appreciate his time and commentary. So what do you think, Dr. J, today's SpaceX mission? What do you think? Well, two steps forward, one step back. You know, it's uh, great to see the first launch of the Super Heavy booster, and it got off the ground for the first time and got up into the far upper atmosphere successfully. So a pretty good test of the first stage. But then they had some problems with uh, engines out and control problems and keeping the pointing or the attitude of the first stage correct so they could get the second stage into action, and that never happened. So the, the test failure... Uh, was not unexpected. I think uh, Musk himself was saying that they expected to have some problems in this test series. And the more you test, the more you learn, the better success you'll have in the end. 10-4. Eventually, the goal from Boca Chica, Brownsville, and these heavy rockets that they hope to launch, the goal is to eventually make it to the moon, right, That to carry the, some uh, big capsule full of people and, and stuff and take it to the moon. That's That's what Elon Musk wants to do? That's the big significance of this first test. It's the first step in qualifying that Starship second stage on this rocket for landing humans on the moon. And that's what NASA has selected as the human landing system for about 2026 is the, is the target goal, I would guess. So this first step was good, but it, if it had gone farther and, it, and Starship had completed its uh, circumnavigation of the Earth and had a successful splashdown, then we would have been farther along the way towards uh, qualifying this lander. So a lot has to happen before astronauts can use the Starship to getting down to the surface. And like I said, we've made some progress today, but they're going to have to test yes, again and again until they're successful. Dr. Tom Jones, author of Ask the Astronaut. Uh, he's a NASA astronaut, Dr. Tom Jones, joining us on the program. And, yes, I, uh, you mentioned that some of the engines uh, looked like, looks like they didn't fire on that first stage. And we saw the, we saw the burn of, of all those engines, the, the imperfect circles. Obviously, some engines were out. Is that the reason why it seemed to take uh, a long time to get off the launch pad? It's like the, the, everything fired, right? And I'm going, okay, any moment now, any moment now. Any moment now, and, and then eventually it started taking off. Is, is that why the liftoff was so slow? Because it was missing several engines firing? Uh, I'm sure that there was a slight delay in the acceleration of the rocket off the pad because some engines appeared to be out. We didn't see that until after we got up at altitude and we, the camera views could see that the engines were out. But remember, the Saturn V took about nine seconds from engine ignition until liftoff. So really? that was a pretty slow process. And I think this was in keeping with that experience. Um, the solid rocket motors on the on the Artemis One Space Launch System launch in November from uh, Cape Canaveral that was a much more rapid takeoff again because once you ignite those solid rocket motors they're at full thrust instantly and off you go. So this is a different style liquid fueled rocket with these new methane engines and no one quite knew what to expect. I think they're going to have to work out why some of these 33 engines didn't. Um, uh, sustain their thrust at liftoff and beyond. And then they had these control problems that um, eventually led to the destruction of the whole rocket. They're going to have to figure out why the control pro- the control system failed and they couldn't shut down engines symmetrically to maintain control. This multiple engine approach, a very Soviet-style approach, is, is that the 33 engines, is that for redundancy sake? I think they bought the engines at a certain thrust point, about half a million pounds of thrust on the Raptor engines, and they decided rather than invest in a rocket that could do triple that thrust at liftoff, uh, like the old F-1 engine on Saturn V, um, they decided to just cluster uh, a number of these less powerful engines, and they would go for reliability and ease of construction and uh, manufacturing and reuse. And that, that, I think that's what drove them to this, this approach. And, of course, you need uh, capable software that can recognize engine problems and shut down the required engines to maintain the, the rocket on a straight and uh, accurate path. Dr. Tom Jones, NASA astronaut, my guest right now. We're talking about Elon Musk and successful liftoff of his heavy rocket. 
that tip, that little pretend spacecraft that's at the tip of the rocket, do you think they loaded it down with, I don't know, extra sandbags or something to pretend that it would actually be a heavy rocket? Or was it heavy just by itself because it has all these different stages to it? Well, it's a two-stage rocket. I think the second stage, the Starship, was fully loaded with propellant, and it has it had its complement of six engines to drive it into orbit and get it all the way around to Hawaii on this liftoff. So I don't think it was lacking much in terms of, of payload mass. It was certainly missing astronauts or satellites or yeah. what have you, but it was pretty close to full weight at uh, liftoff. And it was a good, rigorous test of the first stage, and they'll learn from the... the destruction of the first stage and they're going to try again and within months i would guess sure look i know i'm way ahead of but i'm thinking into the moon and then eventually mars that's the dream for elon musk first we got to again land on the moon again and set up a base and a fueling station and all that has nasa or anyone else including i think your colleague um chang diaz uh, the experiment where they were they were trying to create a like a nuclear based propulsion system, a faster system that would reduce significantly reduce the travel time to Mars from like six months to six weeks. So have you heard anything new on the development of that technology? Because that's going to be necessary for a flight to Mars. Right. Uh, Franklin Chang Diaz's uh, Vasimir rocket is still under development, and so it's progressing in terms of thrust level and power, uh, the electrical power needed to run that thing. And so that's still in the laboratory stage. But what's encouraging to me is that NASA has teamed up with DARPA um, to create a nuclear um, thermal rocket to be tested in space within the, within the next five years. And so this is a smaller scale nuclear reactor that will be put into orbit and then use liquid hydrogen as the propellant. And it won't be fired up on, on Earth uh, due to the radioactivity risk, but you'd send this thing inertly into orbit on top of a chemical rocket, and then you would light up the nuclear propulsion system. Mm. And that's the big payoff. If you can get a nuclear thermal rocket operational, it could be part of an eventual Mars ex- expedition and cut the travel time in half. What's the timeline on us, I say us, humanity, setting up shop on the moon? Uh, how many years down the road? Five years, seven years? What do you think? First humans returning to the moon from the U.S. would be, I think, in about 2026 is as fast as they could reasonably right. go, especially with the, the test failure today. And then eventually a, a piloted or a, a crewed base on the moon um, in the 2030s. And then after we get all the experience wrung out of the lunar surface experience and maybe visiting nearby asteroids, we would flesh out the spacecraft and the architecture to get humans to Mars in the early 24th. Sure. Okay, well, and Elon Musk and company, they need to perfect their technology because if it's going to happen, as you said, perhaps in 2026, where you get actually people moving dirt with their boots on, on the moon, he's the final stage. He's the one that has the lander that would send that people and equipment, uh, land them on the moon. That, that's, he's, the, he's this piece in, in the puzzle, Elon Musk. Right, he's the what we call the he's in the critical path, so he has to show up with the Starship lander for people to get on the moon by anything like 2026. And NASA is conducting a competition for another team of lander builders, you know, a consortium and industry who would deliver an alternate lander design, but they're of course a couple of years behind musk and so if they were to be the selected uh, to be the lander provider then we're talking about 2028 and that's about when the chinese plan to show up on the moon oh how nice <laughs> great uh it, it's good to know that elon musk and company they have been successful in recycling reusing their boosters landing them safely on a con- continuous basis and i would imagine that's part of the technology successful technology that will probably encourage them or maybe give them hope that everything's going to be fine eventually. They can just figure out how to get things into space. Well, I think the lunar landing is something that Musk has a lot of experience with because of recovering his first stages at Cape Canaveral and on the booster um, recovery barges offshore. So that landing technique is proven. So now it's it's got to be applied to this larger and more capable vehicle, the Starship. And that's the second stage that we, that we saw in the test flight today. So it was supposed to do a soft landing back into the ocean near Hawaii today. Didn't get a chance to do that because of the first stage failure. So now they've got to test again and put that second right. stage into operation. Dr. Jones, thank you. Bye again, friend. Thanks for joining us today. Dr. Tom Jones, NASA astronaut. Look for his many books, including Ask the Astronaut. Thank you, Dr. T. This is The Sergio Show.
Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We'll let you know enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Elon Musk is successful in launching his big old fat rocket for about four minutes this morning. And there will be more testing. Like it or not, more is coming to South Texas and more exciting launches and perfecting the technology, as you heard with, from Dr. Tom Jones, NASA astronaut, to eventually get us back to the moon. Because Elon Musk kind of needs to perfect that before we land something up there. Elon Musk, many months back, said, hey, you guys go invest in Brownsville, invest in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. We saw a little boom related to that. Put us on the map. <sighs> Brian Reed is my friend from the Ryan and Brian real estate team. Brian Reed is in the studio. Man, you recall back then after he said that, how crazy the phone was ringing off the hook. People asking, hey, where are you at? What's going on with you? You know, What is the Rio Grande Valley of Texas? What is this Brownsville that Elon Musk is speaking at? Mm-hmm. You know? There was, a, there was a little boom back there as far as the people curiously checking out what was happening in the Valley at a time when interest rates were well, much more affordable for <laughs> prospectors, right, to, right. to sop up all, all the property. Well, things are different now, and we got higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. Money's a bit more expensive. So at a time when I personally know homes were up, like, getting 30 bids per house, I was in that fight for one property I wanted at the end and I lost out. Um how many bids per home right now, muscle minerals, because of the more expensive money? Bids have actually, you know, obviously dropped down. We're not seeing, you know, 30 to 50 offers like we used to. It's <laughs> crazy. Um, but it's all about pricing. You know, like people for the longest time just kept increasing the price over and over and over again. And that just kind of had to, that kind of stopped, you know. So um, you're going to need a realtor that knows how to price it accordingly and accurately. And you're doing yourself a disservice by overpricing it. Yeah. You need to price it what it's worth. And if you price it what it's worth, you will get good offers and maybe over asking, um, but people continue to um, use agents that are going to overprice it, and it's just not going to get any attention. And that will hurt you as a as seller of a property because because uh, you're, you're you're above asking price and what the market's willing to uh, acquire. So you're just going to just sit on the market, and next thing you know, you're reducing it, reducing it, reducing it. And then people look at that property like, well, what's wrong gets, with yeah, it? What's wrong with it? <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to mind. What's wrong? He keeps reducing the price of his right. property. What's wrong with it? And then he'll end up getting a lower price than if he had just priced it right the first time. Yeah. You know, and, and, and putting yourself in a better situation. How do you do that? It, uh, my friend uh, Brian Reed from the Ryan and Brian real estate team, how do you. How do you calculate that math? Because that's a moving target. Right? Right. You got the Fed raising interest rates again here pretty soon. Market trends. Um, we're continuously look at marketing trends um, and you know pricing it accordingly. We're always doing a market analysis uh, and just seeing you know what's happened in the last six months. But it's really more about projecting what's happening in the future. And you know I'm constantly looking at inventory and supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And if if supply is not there like it isn't right now, still like there's there's a uh, there's no no reason to be scared that the market's going to crash and the prices are going to drop dramatically. So yeah. just kind of looking at the future and seeing what's going to happen. Okay, so the median price, which is a basic metric that we look at from time to time. Right, right. Tell me where it is right now compared to, I don't know, a few months back. Well, let's look over year over year. So okay. like Hidalgo County, for example, uh, we're at 225000 median price. That's actually up 4.9% since this time last year. Really? Yeah, so people are thinking... Hey, like it's going down, but that's not the case. This time last year, we were in that crazy market, that crazy market. where there were 30, 40, 50 bits per house. Exactly. And the owners just kept jacking the price, just keep ratcheting right. it up. Right. And, and, and so we got median prices higher now than it was this time last year? It, it actually is. And, and people, there's a misconception that it, it's shifting, but it, it, it isn't wow. uh, too quickly, and it's not going to happen you know, anytime soon because, again, we have low inventory. Our inventory right now sits about 4.2 months in uh, Hidalgo County and 4.1 months in Cameron County. So, again, a neutral market is about six months. And when yeah. you get above six months, then you're in a buyer's market. So, yes, it is uh, uh, less, uh, more inventory than we had, um, let's say, uh, this time last year when we were like less than 1%, but we're still not getting to a neutral market anytime soon. 
What does that say about the Rio Grande Valley? Then are we like Boomtown USA and so many people moving to the area that the demand is still there? High demand? Absolutely. You know, the, the valley has so much to look forward to. Um, obviously, we have a, a great culture, uh, low cost of living, a lot of things that attract people here. Um, that low cost of living has attracted a lot of people here over over COVID. You know, people started working virtually and they're like, "Why well, am I going to live on the East Coast or or the, or, or the West Coast?" Um, with dramatic uh, uh, living costs when I can live in the Valley and have a great uh, style of living and, 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 and do more with my money. Brian Reed from the Ryan and Brian team in studio. We're looking at the real estate market for South Texas. And surprise, surprise, man, I wasn't expecting to hear that, that median price for home in the County area is actually more now than it was this time last year when homes were selling like hotcakes. Right. Are we in a really tight inventory right now? Is that part of the reason the the price yeah. is higher yeah inventory is it like i said it is creeping up uh we were in in most uh sectors below one month inventory because it's being constructed right, right. because there's a lot of construction uh, they are picking up construction it, it, it kind of took a halt last summer uh-huh. uh with the rising interest rates people like kind of hit the brakes yeah um but right now people are kind of realizing that four percent three percent and then obviously two percent interest rates yeah that's not normal <laughs> you know in a normal uh market um pre you know 2008 if you had a 6% interest rate, you were ecstatic, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so um, people are coming to the realization that, you know, we're probably not going to see those interest rates anytime soon. Uh, it took a little bit of shock and awe, and uh, things kind of really slowed down towards the end of t- uh, 2022. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is right now, uh, the, the red line is like 6.5% interest rates. So, hmm. and they've done studies right now that every time interest rates drop below 6.5%, uh, in, uh, uh, buyer demand, um, showings, uh, applications for loans automatically start picking up. And as soon as they go above 6.5%, they start slowing down. Right now, we dropped uh, to just right over 6%, and the phones just kind of start picking up. And it's, and it's kind of crazy because we can almost time it. Like, just listening to interest rates, you know, mm-hmm. how many calls are we going to get this week? Yeah, if I remember correctly, Deli and I, oof, for like three decades ago, mm-hmm. in our new little, pretty little starter home that we were in. We're still in, by the way. Right. Um, I think that was the rate, about 6%. Yeah. And we had good credit, and we wound up landing at about 6, right. 6.5. And we refied low fives, I think, when the rates were going down somewhere in the early 2000s. I don't remember when it was, but we refied. Right. And we cut several years and played, paid. Uh, we paid ahead. We paid uh, all the principal quite a bit over the years. Right. And that's the thing that people need to keep in mind. Like, there's things you can do right now. Uh, that you can negotiate that you couldn't negotiate a year ago. Yeah. You can negotiate concessions. You can you know, negotiate repairs. You can negotiate home warranty. Uh-huh. So many other things. And you know, you're not going to potentially go above asking price on an offer. Um, and so, you know, get it at a decent price. And yes, your interest rate is higher. But, you know, date the rate and, and, and you can refinance here in the future, you know. Yeah. Brian Reed, Ryan and Brian team, real estate team, we're looking at the Rio Grande Valley uh, status of, of it's a status report for the Rio Grande Valley real estate market. Any uh, any other stats you want to share with me that stand out? I I know the you guys in, in the real estate association also talk about all these numbers. So uh, like day on market, uh, how many days on the market? Uh, you already shared with me uh, like interest rates. What else are you looking so at? Days in market in Dow County they've gone up about twelve days from this time last year in Dow County, but in Cameron County that's unchanged. We're, we're, we're still at the same uh, days on market that we were this time last year. So no change. What, what is that uh, in Cameron County? Days uh, on market? Total days to, to close is we're looking at eighty-four days. Okay, from close three to three months. Yeah, from on the market to under contract to close. Yeah, a few years back, what was it? Oh wow, I mean, we we had six months, and it just depending on price point. So it's still at three months. That's, that's yeah, just shy of three months. Pre, it's still pretty pre-COVID, crazy. we were you know depending on what what price point, but it could be six yeah. months to a year. And things are changing so rapidly in, in the valley. Right. It, it like you know. I keep pointing to our mayor mm-hmm. in Edinburgh. Said, "Hey, Serge, I got sixty subdivisions. Cameras are flying all over the place." Right. I'm going, "Man, it's like, that's crazy. That's boomtown." I know people are catching up and finally constructing because right. materials are showing up, yeah. but still, that's a lot of houses right. throwing into the market. Well, you got to remember, we're a very young population. Texas as a state is is young in the nation, and our region is young for the state. So we we have a, a buying population for years to come. Um, we and again, we have a lot of things that draw people here. So, you know, I don't see our market um, taking a dramatic shift anytime soon. 10 4. Yeah. Well, ad- real quick, advice for the buyer, what would you say? Uh, you know, we're obviously we had tax uh, season just recently. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you did your tax returns this, this early this week, but maybe you got a tax refund. You know, 
Um, let's uh, talk about how we can invest that wisely into a home. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities right here. Obviously, uh, yeah, interest rates are high, but again, you can offer relatively speaking yeah. high, like compared to compared last to, year. Yeah, <laughs> last year, whether well, two three percent is crazy back then. Right, but still, still very good. As Absolutely, you mentioned, about six percent. Okay, yeah. and a quick advice for the seller before I let you go. If you're if you're a seller, you're going to need a professional now, someone who can give you accurate market analysis and prices your house right from the beginning. Yeah, someone with expertise to help you buy. I mean, to sell in any market. A true marketer with a marketing plan and a strategy, you know, not just an iPhone and access to the MLS. Hmm. So. And who would that be, <laughs> Brian? Just wondering. Now, who would that be? I'm not going to call anybody. The out. Ryan and <laughs> Brian team. You should call them. Good to see you, amigo. Yeah, thanks for having us. Okay, give me a, whenever you think it's necessary, maybe, you know, 60 days, 90 days down the road, see how we're doing. Because as we're watching the business news right. now, right, so, well, there's signs of slowdown here and there. We're just hoping that the Fed stops. <laughs> stop raising rates. Stop raising the price of money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, just let people buy a home. So let's do another one down the road, see what happens. All right. Thanks, sir. Thanks for stopping by, brother. Appreciate you. Right. Brian Reed from the Ryan and Brian team. Ryanandbrian.com. Proud supporter of 710KURV. This is the Sergio Show. In news that you need to know, and I know y'all listening to KURV. I know my audience. You and I are the sandwich generation. Taking care of kids and taking care of a mom and dad or grandma or some loved one that is advanced in age. You know, in our country, they say we have close to four and a half million Americans that have some form of long-term care that is paid by Medicaid. That's the state, federal health funding system for the very, very poor individuals that have gone through all of their assets. They have pretty much nothing left, but they still need 24-hour care. Almost four and a half million Americans through Medicaid are getting some type of you know, living assistance at those facilities. There was this report that I saw. There was a spate of eviction of individuals at assisted living places in Wisconsin who depended on Medicaid to pay their bills, and they were being evicted. They couldn't pay or the state wasn't paying anymore. I welcome back Joe Alch. She is with Joy Care Management in North Texas, and this is what she does for a living. She's a patient advocate. She's a registered nurse. What more do you know of that story out of Wisconsin where they say that some individuals at assisted living places were being kicked out because they couldn't pay or Medicaid wasn't paying anymore? What's going on? The problem is, is the cost for 24-hour care is so expensive in these nursing homes. They have to provide, they can only provide the bare minimum to make any kind of a profit. And so what they're, what's going on is they make more money with the private pay client. Um, assisted livings don't have the governatory, um, the government regulations like the nursing homes do. So it's easier for them to make their living and make their income on assisted living. It's cost less for the community. Um, the residents get better care. The staff is more comfortable working in assisted living than nursing homes. And it, it, there are just a number of things. But um, the main reason is it's just too expensive to run these no, under, Understood. Homes. But, you know, that the word eviction from assisted living, mm-hmm. boy, those are impressive words, kind of scary. And, and then put well, on top of that, yeah. you know, the, the baby boomers, like, what was it, like 70-plus million baby boomers about to go into retirement, and some of them mm-hmm. might need 24-hour mm-hmm. care. Like, um, There's got to be more to this story. I mean, they're winding up at other nursing homes, right, these people being evicted up in Wisconsin? Well, a lot of times they'll go to the hospital for something like a UTI or chest pain, yeah. and they wind up staying in the hospital for two and three weeks because there's no place to send them. Wow. And unfortunately, you know, we live in a country, you know, we don't take care of our elders like other countries um, do. And, you know, families just need to step up. The the sad thing is 50% of the workforce is made up of women. And in the past, it was women who took care of their elders. You know, they took care of aunts and uncles and grandparents. Um, but everybody is so busy um, that we're depending on the government to take care of these senior individuals. It's, it's just really, really sad. Might we see headlines like this in Texas? Absolutely. I will I go to, you know, I live in North Dallas. I will go to a hospital ER to meet a family. And it is like a charity hospital now. The, the halls, 
there are people, seniors waiting to even get into a room into an ER. There's just, there are too many people and not enough people to care for them. And it's yeah. just going to get worse. It's very, very sad. One reality in healthcare in this country that was exposed as a result of COVID was the the lack of resources, the lack of hospital room, rooms, the lack of hospitals, mm-hmm. the lack of clinics, even in big cities. I mean, you think with mm-hmm. Dallas or Houston or big places like they have hosp- they seem to have hospitals all over the place. They ran out of space. Mm-hmm. It's like we have uh, it, no capacity for a pandemic in this country, even a, a, a tiny know. one, a tiny one like like COVID. We have no capacity for something like that. I know it's so sad. And another issue is one in every four senior has no savings. And so a lot of them think that their social security check is going to pay for a nursing home or pay for assisted living. And it doesn't, it pays for, you know, a fraction of that cost. And, you know, nursing homes, the average nursing home is 9,000 a month. Um, And the average assisted living is 4,500 a month. So, you know, it's just a lot of money. The money's not there. You know, there's so many seniors. You know, I, you know, my only thought is people need to start getting to know their neighborhood nursing homes. You know, you know where your local Starbucks is. Find out about your local nursing home. How can we help? You know, schools that are overpopulated, the community helps. Let's start helping in those neighborhood nursing homes. Serve meals, you know, provide activities. Go and sing with them or provide Bible study, you know, just something to take the burden off the staff. That That's a thought. And, you know, it's very doable. Joe, thank you. She's a registered nurse, expert in senior care from North Texas. Joe Alt. Take care, friend. This is The Sergio Show. Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. I have a friend in studio, and it's really good to see him. And every time I see John's son from House of China fame, he keeps getting younger and younger. I don't know what he's doing, man. It's the it's the cholesterol free oil, right? Yeah. How are you, amigo? I'm pretty good. How are you? Good. It's Sergio. good to see you again. Well, man. good to see you too. John, several years back was really busy with economic development efforts. So sitting on the board in McAllen and other places around here, right? Yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Back to the old day. Yeah. Can you believe what's taking place in the valley? How the valley has evolved and economic development, the opportunities that we see right yeah, now? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, when I first come to the valley in 1974, uh-huh. the valley is just famous for citrus. Yeah. You know, everybody come down to buy bag of orange, take it back, give to the friend. That, that's how, you know, how we learn about the valley. Yeah. So now, my friend come to see me, he said, wow. You know, they even, it used to be they said they can find me real quick because we're along 10th Street, uh, between, between Harlingen and 10th Street, there's nothing. Yeah. We know when they see a main street, that's a 10th street. Yeah. So, but this time they're driving for like an hour and they can almost pass mission. They cannot find 10th street because there's so <laughs> many things going on along the highway. John's son is the proprietor of the now closed, famous Valley establishment, Valley pillar of business, the House of China. That How many years was House of China open here in South Texas? Uh, about... 50 years, uh, 1978, 1978, and I lost count of it, 40, 40, 40 some years. Well, so you just closed it down, right? So, yeah. 
So you you almost hit the, you you crossed the forty year mark, right? Seventy eight. Uh, yeah, I come down to the valley, opened the first restaurant in Pedro Island at Pedro that Island. Fifty years, nineteen seventy four. Yeah, that was like a forty nine years ago. Yeah, I don't believe it. That was a forty nine years ago. <laughs> wow, how time. The first restaurant that you opened on South Padre, was it was it also like a buffet, like Chinese buffet? Uh, no, or no, 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 no. That restaurant was called Tiki Restaurant. Uh-huh. It was a, and a Tiki condominium. A Tiki condominium is still there. Okay. Yeah. But, but like Hawaiian uh, fare? Yeah, you exactly, like a Hawaiian really? type. Okay. Yes, how we serve seafood, yeah. uh, Hawaii food, Chinese food, steak, uh, a little bit of everything. Yeah. John Sun. The uh, owner of the now closed House of China. I asked John when, when I when I saw the House of China closed down. Well, it made me really sad because oh crap! Where now? Where am I going to get my Sunday night <laughs> Chinese food? Chinese food fix, which I'm still having trouble by the way finding the the right places. You had a, you just had a unique recipe, John. I just like the way you cook food. I, I preferred like the little sweet and sour sauce, the little egg rolls. Every the way you did it, that's what I, I preferred it. And I haven't been able to find something similar as tasty. That's just that's just me. I miss it. I miss it. Well, thank you, Sergio. Yeah. yeah. Well, how'd you wind up in the valley, John? How'd you come down here back in the early 1970s? How'd you make it all the way down here? Well, uh, I was in Corpus Christi. Uh-huh. And then the, the owner of the Tiki Condominium, they need somebody to open a Polynesian restaurant. So they went to yeah. Corpus Christi. Polynesian restaurants. Yeah, right. Polynesian, which is uh, like yeah. the Hawaii style. Yeah, yeah. So I had experience uh, on Polynesian restaurant when I was a student. Yeah, when I went uh, went to graduate school. Okay. Uh, you know, I was. Where was years. that? Where where? That was in Washington D.C. The Washington D.C. was graduate school for you. Yes. And and. What studies, John? What, what so did you... I, I'm, I'm an engineer student. That's the reason I come to the United States to get my uh, master's degree uh-huh. in uh, mechanical engineer. You are a mechanical engineer yes, yes. by study. Yes. And you wind up being the king of Chinese food in, in South <laughs> Texas for more than a generation. Yeah, yes, yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's what's happening. Well, you got to follow the money. That's where the money's at. Yeah. You did real well. well uh, also, I major in thermodynamic. <laughs> so, so I practice. I, I practice every day. <laughs> Freddie, can you print out a SpaceX uh, job application? Give it to John. I think they need him down the street. Maybe he can help perfect some of the uh, ancillary technology over for the rockets. John Sun, the owner of House of China, which is now closed. And I asked, hey, I asked him months uh, months back. It's already time has passed. I said, hey man, you come on the radio and tell people about yourself, and uh, just to say thank you. For all the years of patronage and business, you know, just I wanted to ask you some of the highlights, some of the maybe more pleasant memories, employees or families, loyal families, regular customers that you met. Maybe just reflect on some of the more positive memories that you have from from the House of China. Well, uh, everywhere I go right now, uh-huh. you know, I always see somebody. Is there is there the customer my and either the old employee, my, yeah. you know, there's always somebody say hello, come to me, say hello. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. You know, the, through the years, we have a thousand, thousands of uh, people work for us. And also, we met a uh, hundred, hundreds of friends, you know, with our customers. Yeah. So uh, you're one of them. I got to ask yeah, you, so John. Yeah, so I kind of miss that kind of yeah. life. Uh, Is there any chance you can come back, dude? Because really, I'm having a hard time finding a replacement. <laughs> Why'd you close, man? Why'd you close down? Well, Sergio, the time is 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 time for me to retire. Okay. I'm turning into eighty this year. Man, <laughs> so I, that's the main reason. I hope I look half as young as you when I hit eighty, brother. If I hit eighty, uh, you look really good, John. Very Thank well you, Sergio. It must be all the cholesterol-free oil. Yeah. yeah. I got to say, the, the most enjoyable, one of the more enjoyable parts. You got the audio, Freddie? <laughs> uh, one of the more enjoyable parts of, uh, of your business. Uh, I don't know when you partnered up with Marky Mark, or buddy Marky Mark Vantage. Yeah. Uh, I don't, but I think that was a genius move because Mark is a genius. Yeah, he, is. Still he is. And what's the name of that dude from from South Korea? Fred? 
Cy? That's his name? Not like Cy Smith, Cy Young, just Cy. Play it, Freddie. This is this is the genius of Mark Fanage and what he did with, with House of China anyway. style. House of China style. You should see the video for this. House of China style. I didn't know you could dance, by the way. No, no, I'm a good dancer. Oh, so they edited in all the the body motions of you dancing on the one. All right. So what now, John? What what do you what do you plan on doing? Uh, travel the world. Uh, I, I decided uh, the first years. Retire, I'm gonna do nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. Man, perfect. That that sounds like because a plan. All, man. All, all my life, I've been worked so hard. Yeah, you know, seven days a week, sixteen uh, sixteen hours a day. Yeah. So I said, "What well, decide? Well, the first year, I'm gonna do nothing." And you're healthy. Yes. And you're strong. Yeah. And let's keep it that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> do you have plans to go? Like, you know. Go go travel the world. Going to like uh, speaking think, of year, you could do like the year long cruise. You ever heard of that? Where people go, they pay like fifty thousand bucks and they travel the world on a, on a cruise ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, uh, Sergio. That's what I'm gonna do uh, next year. <laughs> really? I was just joking. No, I, I'm planning. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I do I do do some cruise. You know, cruising from Houston and from uh, California. Uh, uh, we go to Mexico most of the time. Go to beautiful. Mexico right now. That's yes. beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, John, for all these years. And I know in, as far as your community service with the Economic Development Office and, and other entities uh, with the city, uh, you've provided leadership for us through the years. And uh, going to miss it. House of China. Uh, any way I can convince you to maybe sell the recipes to somebody to open up, maybe a family member or something? Open yeah, up? I, I'm looking for some people, uh, a good restaurant operator and yeah. experience in all, all right. kind of style food. Maybe. Maybe reopen, reopen again or do whatever. Under that same brand. Yeah, I'm looking. Okay. So. Well, good. You guys heard John Sun, the owner of the House of China. There's one way to open up. You're a good restaurant manager or investor. Maybe we can bring that brand back. Lord bless you, my friend. Thanks for stopping by. Well, thank you, Sergio. Keep in touch. Send me a postcard from the other I side will. of the planet when you're on your <laughs> national cruise. All right. <laughs> this is The Sergio Show.